and welcome to Dubbing to Draft. This is episode 20, recording the 20th of March 2013. My name's Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me as always is... Steve! Right, let's jump straight into the news. You make the card for, I believe we mentioned this last week, the vote was going on between what sort of card we wanted, whether it was artifact or sorcery, instant creature. The vote came back exceptionally tight between land and enchantment. There was something like 30-odd oh. votes between the two. Like, about 2,000 or 2,500 odd people voted for each one, but there was about 34 between the two. So this week, they're running it off between, do you want an enchantment or do you want a land? Mm. And Twitter has been all a flutter about it. Um, actually, the vote's now closed as of recording, unfortunately. But on Monday, they should have the next step and you make the card. And we will know whether we are creating an enchantment or we are creating a land. Cool. Um, it also hasn't been stated which set this will appear in, so we've no idea. But apparently there is only space for one card. So say we create a jewel land, we're not going to see a whole cycle because there's no room for it. Just as a heads up, but who knows what's going to happen. Anyways, uh, there are Grand Prix news. Um, San Diego was last weekend. Uh, that was in California, for those who don't know. It's the same place the Pro Tour is going to be t- taking place. It was modern, and it was won by Nathan Holiday, who's playing Eggs, who's a bad person because it's Eggs. <laughs> In Utrecht, which was Gatecrash Team Sealed in Utrecht in the Netherlands, uh, Jonathan Bergstrom, Thomas Westling, and Frederick Carlson won. So congratulations to them. And next weekend, we're going to have Grand Prix Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. That is Gatecrash Sealed and Booster Draft. Cool. I think that's the news, so we can move straight into Pop Quiz. Pop Quiz! Because we don't have a jingle for that one, Craig. I don't think we do. We do have one for Boom and Bust, and we've definitely got one for Name That Card, but I'll have to grab that for Pop Quiz. Right. Should I start? Yeah, go on then. Okay, I've got a really simple question for you. So, this so you should, see. This should so not see. be hard at all. Right. Can you name all the zones in a game of magic? All the zones? Yep. Okay. So, hmm, you're right, it shouldn't be hard. It's a really simple thing. I mean, things move in and out of zones all the time, and there's only a, like a handful of them, so. Right, so you've got your hand. Yep. You've got your no, yeah. Your graveyard is a zone. Yeah, graveyard is a zone. Yeah. Uh, you've got the exiled zone. Mm-hmm. You've got in play. Is in play a zone? That's an old term. It has a newer term nowadays. Uh, Just like removed from the game was the old way of saying exile. All right, and then the graveyard would be buried. So, yeah. So the new version of that would be on the battlefield. Yep, the battlefield. Where else can cards be? On the stack? Yep. Cards. Stack, yes. Yeah, yeah, the cards can be on a stack. You're missing out a really big one. Combat zone? No. I don't know, is the combat zone a thing? No. Hold on, Craig, right, hold on, let me think, let me think. Really big one, you say? Yeah, you've named the hand, the deck. battlefield, the graveyard, the stack, and exile. Your deck. Did I see that? Where no. Li- but library. Library, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that it, or do you think there's more? Is there an? Oh, I want to say that's that's all I can think of off the top of my head. What have I forgotten, Craig? Okay, where do commanders go? Where do vanguard cards go? And where oh, do come emblems on. go? Come on, we were talking magic. We were talking magic, Craig. We were talking about command- emblems. Emblems. Where do <laughs> emblems go? 
That's cheeky. Let's let's below the belt, Craig. Actually, that's not that's not even the end of it. So, where okay. where do okay. emblems, commanders, and vanguard cards go? The commander zone or the command zone. The command zone, yeah, which is a real zone in all games of Magic because that's where emblems go, which can totally happen in every format. Which can totally happen, yeah. There is another zone. <laughs> there is another zone. The now this was entering this... the battlefield zone. No, that would be called the stack. No, no, there's an entering the battlefield zone as well, isn't there? For when? No, there is. Because because you get it on Magic Online, the little thing comes up saying entering the battlefield when you've got a decision to make on something when you like say when you're playing a shockland. That would be called a trigger on the stack. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. But it definitely comes up with a separate little box of magical lines says entering the battlefield. Rule 401 states all the zones. It says there are normally seven zones, the library, hand, battlefield, graveyard, stack, exile, and command. And also some older cards also use the anti-zone. Hmm. Oh yeah, the anti, yeah, anti, yeah. Back in the days when, when you played magic, you had to anti a card, which meant play take a random. Keep, buddy, play for keeps. Yeah, you take a random card out of your deck, you put it in the anti-zone, and then whoever won the game won all the cards in the anti-zone. Yeah, it's a funny one. It was kind of like, uh, we leveling the playing field slightly, so that if somebody had a really expensive deck full of expensive cards, and you were just playing with your, I don't know, your goblin deck or whatever, and, uh, if you won, you'd potentially win better cards. <laughs> but also the chance of losing <laughs> yeah. cards. Yeah, but that, that was, uh, the, that was the, the leveler. Do you know what I mean? So it leveled the playing field because it made people less inclined to put all their big expensive cards into one deck. Uh-huh. That was the idea, anyway. So you would never play, say, anti in Commander then? <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. Or even what, you'd never play anti these days anyway, would you? No, you're not allowed to play anti in anything vaguely sanctioned by magic. This is an entirely casual only thing, a bit like if you want to make up your own rules for Commander, what's banned or what's not. Yeah. A while back there was a idea kicking about for doing a kind of sealed, a sealed kind of league, but where you played for anti each time, but you only, you only play with the cards in your sealed pool, and then each game cards changed hands because of the anti thing, and you maybe played for like four weeks or whatever, each, each game anti and cards, your sealed pool kind of evolved over the course of the weeks. Right. You played with that as a reasonably good good idea, but then again, people don't like gambling with their cards, do they? Yeah, it, it is considered a form of gambling, which is why it's not allowed and anything vaguely sanctioned. Yeah, but there's no more gambling than redrafting rares, really. Possibly. Anyways, do you have a <laughs> pop quiz for me, sir? Oh, let me see. Do I have a pop quiz for you, sir? Okay, right. Craig, I have decided to... <clears throat> reverse the format of Name That Card. <laughs> so, I'm going to give you the name of a card. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's got one ability. One ability. I'll give you clues to what the maybe the ability costs and what you have to do to activate it. You're going to tell me what the ability is. Okay? Is this a card I'm actually going to know? <laughs> well, that's, that's part of the quiz. Okay. <laughs> so, I am looking at Alibaba. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he's a red card and he costs one red to cast. He's a 1-1 one, one, and he's from 4th edition. I think he's from, is he not from Arabian Nights all the way originally? Um, quite possibly. Uh, back when he used to say summon Alibaba. <laughs> he still says summon Alibaba I on th- the, uh, yeah, the on, op- 
Yeah, he wasn't even a legend at this point. Yeah, I'm sh- pretty sure Oracle will have changed him to be a human rogue or something, but okay. Possibly. But he is, well, on my card, Oracle hasn't changed anything. <laughs> it says summon Alibaba. And he's a 1 1, and he's got an ability which requires you to tap him and pay one red. What would that ability achieve? Tap and pay one red? I would. Oh, in fact, no, I'm lying. You do not need to tap him. You just pay one red. So you can oh. do it lots of times. Oh, I was, I was gonna suggest he could tap to ping, but, uh, I'm gonna say something a bit more outlandish, seeing this is an earlier card. Mm-hmm. Um. Before you answer, before you answer, consider the character as well. I don't really know much about Alibaba. Okay, okay. Just give me a wee clue. What, what's... May not necessarily know the card. What's important about Alibaba? I don't, I, I don't really know the Arabian Nights lore. Okay, okay. He was a thief, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so considering he was a thief, he's probably not a pinger, which was my initial thought. Um, it wouldn't be something like exchange control of Alibaba for another target permanent. No. Right, what I'll do is I'll read you this flavor text and see if that helps you, right? Okay. When he reached the entrance of the cavern, he pronounced the words... Open sesame! Right. He pay red and Alibaba is unblockable? No! He taps target wall. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Obviously! <laughs> taps target wall, wow. Wow, okay. Because of course he got walls back then. Yeah. And well, they were real walls. They were made of, like, things and they couldn't move. Yeah. And they had stuff relating to them, which made them more like an actual real wall. Yeah. Now you've just got defenders. Defenders are so boring. Give me back walls. Well, they're still creature walls. It's just... And that was still... That's, the Oracle text was still say tap target wall. It just... Yeah. Yeah. Alibaba. <laughs> Alibaba, you man. Yeah, that set also had things like Sinbad. And, uh... Oh. Other characters from the Tales... Yeah, yeah. That was the first magic expansion ever, wasn't it? Um, Arabian Nights, possibly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, um, was it Arabian Nights, then the Dark? Uh, Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Legends, the Dark. Mm. Yeah. Cool, anyway. I don't think Alibaba was in the Arabian Nights. I think he was just in, like, Corset, forever. Was he? Alibaba is in Arabian Nights and 4th edition. Really? He was an oh. uncommon U3, in fact. That makes sense, I suppose. It makes sense. And he is now a creature human rogue. He is not legendary. <laughs> Which is nonsense, isn't it? So you can have many Alibabas if you so desire. I have lots of them. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, shall we move on to our topic? We can. What is our topic today, Craig? So our topic... Well... One thing I realised coming back into Magic, trying to watch coverage, trying to read articles, is there is a lot of terminology in the game. There's a lot of things which... There may be English words which have a strict meaning outside of Magic, but inside Magic they have a completely different meaning. Like if I say um, a card is broken, I presume it's damaged in some way, it's it's torn. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how a card can be broken, has it got like... Soaked in water, and now it's sort of just falling apart like paper mache. That's what broken means, right? It's, it's after you've dropped it in liquid nitrogen, buddy. That's how you break it. You freeze yeah. it and break it. Yeah, yeah. You can then shatter it. Yeah, yeah. See, that, I mean, Obviously. if you're if you're coming back into the game, 
broken means damaged. It means destroyed. It doesn't mean what it means inside magic. So we're going to try to run through a whole bunch of the game terminology. If you're familiar with magic, you probably know most of them. If you're unfamiliar with magic, then hopefully this will sort of get you up to speed with what people mean when they say, I swing at you for four, or I dome you to the face of a bolt. Huh? <laughs> So we're just going to run through a whole bunch of game terms. Don't don't mute to the face. I don't. That can't be right, Chris. That that does seem a bit over the top. You just don't. <laughs> I just dome you. I just hit, take bolt you to the face. I suppose you yeah, can do well, all of them together. Like <laughs> it, maybe I don't know. I was just putting words together. Because yeah, but, yeah. but this is the sort of things you you find even on Friday Night Magic. I swing with my team. What? Yeah. Uh, even just listening to us when we're speaking, we were guilty of. Uh, Using magic slang quite a lot, and maybe a lot of people just aren't familiar with that. I don't know how much of uh, the magic slang that we use, Craig, is regional or whether it's just across the whole magic community, and we've kind of picked it up from listening to other people. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, that, uh, we'll just run through this. It's almost in alphabetical order. There's a few, there's a few different sections. But we're just going to start on sort of general game terminology. This is pretty extensive. So, um... Uh, how should we do this? Turnabout or? Yeah. Okay, um, so. Or should, we, should we do it in quiz form, Craig? What is Alpha Strike? What is Alpha Strike? That's when you attack with everybody for the win. Yay. Yeah. There's no coming back from that, buddy. Craig? Yep. What is a bear? So a bear is just a 2 2 creature. Now, bears can have extra abilities, but in general, a uh, bear just means a uh, two-power, two-toughness creature. Yeah. Healing back to the original grizzly bear, which was the original green 2-2 two, two for two. Is is the, is the two-mana a requirement for a bear? Yeah. So a two-mana, two-two, is a bear. Actually. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. It's, more, it's probably more just two-two two, two vanilla is a bear. Oh, you just used a term we haven't covered. I know, yet. I know, but we'll get to it. Anyways, uh, so what does it mean when I'm uh, bringing the beats? You're bringing the beats. It's when you are in control of the board, really, with uh, superior in number creatures, and you're attacking with them, and I am in on the back foot, basically. Is that right? Is that how you describe it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, what would I be talking about if I was talking about my board so or bringing the, something in from the board if you're bringing something in from the board then that is you you're saying sideboard missing out the side part so that's the generally 15 cards you have outside the game which uh, you can bring in during matches after the first basically yeah so, yeah but what is the other meaning of the board the in play zone i think we call it the <laughs> battlefield nowadays oh is that what it's called craig <laughs> craig Yes. Who's Bob? So Bob uh, refers to a very specific card. It's Dark Confidant, which you see played a lot in Modern. And the reason it's called Bob is because uh, it was named after Bob Maher, I want to say. I could be pronouncing the name wrong. It was an invitational card he was basically allowed to create, and thus it is named after him. So that is who Bob is. Cool. Uh, what does it mean when I'm talking about a bolt? Bolt is just a lightning bolt, I believe. Well, what happens if I just bolt one of your guys with, say, Pillar of Flame? Uh, I'm not sure I've heard that one used, Craig. Bolt just generally means I deal damage of some degree to a creature. Really? I don't know. I've only ever heard bolt being talked about actual 
Lightning bolt. Also, yeah, if, if, for lightning bolt. If, if it's not a verb, if it's a noun, it'll be lightning bolt, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've not heard that one. Uh, Craig? Yes. What is a bomb? A bomb is an exceptionally powerful card, which will theoretically win you the game pretty much on its own. So, like, yeah. Grizzlebrand is a bomb. Elish Norn will be a bomb. Just something exceptionally powerful. Generally a creature, but not exclusively. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's yeah, lots of bomby cards out there. Yeah. Give me yeah. a hero blade hold, that'd be a bomb. <laughs> okay, so you got your hero blade hold, and I think he produces tokens, if I remember correctly. She does. So what would happen <laughs> if I did a board wipe? That would be where you kill everything on the board. That could be creatures. It could be like a Wrath of God type effect where you've killed everything, or you could have... I mean, I don't know, does wipe count as if you if you bounce the entire board? Yeah, you I don't could, know if that count. You could wipe the board with something like Devastation tied to bounce all non-land permanents. Yeah. The, the idea is it just clears the board of a whole bunch of cards. Generally, you clear all the creatures away because it destroys all the creatures, but it could also destroy all non-land permanents. You could even wipe away all the lands. Yeah, and I was, I was just going to mention Juckalops. You could just wipe out everything. Jocklops mm-hmm. <laughs> was an old Ice Age card that just killed everything. Every permanent in play gets destroyed. Gotta yeah. love that card. <laughs> uh, maybe. So, uh, where were we? We were, um, oh, I just, I was, see, I see a segue into these things, Craig. Craig, what is a bounce? So, um, to bounce something means to return a card on the battlefield to your hand. So, yeah. unsummon is sort of the archetypical bounce card. It returns our creature to its owner's hand. That's what bouncing is. Yay. So, I've already sort of foreshadowed this. What is a broken card? What does broken mean? Broken is where you dip your card in liquid nitrogen and drop it on the floor. Oh, wait, hold on, is that right? That's what we're talking about. Not not quite. Uh, uh, A broken card is just where it is something which either through maybe a mistake in development, perhaps, that it's... uh, is more powerful than it should be and unbalances the game in an unfair way or an, I don't know. Try to think of a broken card, Craig. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Jace the Mind Sculptor, a classic broken card. Or even like Stoneforge Mystic was pretty broken in its day. You know, uh, yeah. You can pretty much look at any banned card and it will be broken in some way. There is some way to yeah. abuse it unfairly that it makes basically playing against decks with that card in unfun. Yeah. So, ah, interesting. Craig? Yes. Tell, tell us about burn. So burn is where you're doing some degree of damage to a creature or to a player. So, for example, lightning bolt, it burns because it does three mm-hmm. damage to target creature or player. Uh, fireball would be a, is a burn effect. So it can just do, it's just to do with damage and dealing damage. And you could have burn decks, which are just decks sort of Chuck full of cards, which just say, do some amount of damage to something. So you can burn creatures, you can burn players. Um, that's the meaning of burn. Yay! Gotta love getting burnt. I, I, I quite like burn. Yay. What is a cantrip? Ah, no, this is a good one. A cantrip is, well, the, the background of this one is, uh, an old Dunge- Dungeons and Dragons spell, which was called cantrip, and it was basically a spell which, um, allowed you to perform small menial tasks, small repetitive tasks over and over again. And the 
that got brought into the game when they started printing cards which replaced themselves. So if you uh, play a card for some small effect, it might say, I don't know, target player loses one life, draw a card. You know, so, as, or like even something like a preordain is a cantrip because it lets you scry and then you draw a card. It's a card which has a small effect, not necessarily a small effect, it could be a really big effect, it depends on the card, but in essence it replaces itself so it has no detriment to the number of cards in your hand and has no impact on the, um, who has the most cards in hand in the game, you know, card advantage, disadvantage thing. Yeah, the key part is it's cheap and it draws you a card. Yeah. With some additional effect, generally. Yeah. For example, like, Gitaxian Probe is a more recent example, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So, Craig, lead into that. Tell us about card advantage or disadvantage. Card advantage is where you have more cards in your hand, generally, to use at your disposal. So, I mean, both players start off the game with seven cards, so nobody has any card advantage, but if you're able to draw additional cards during the game, if you're able to cause your opponent to discard cards during the game, then you have got more cards to play with, and that is card advantage. Yeah. I suppose another way of looking at it is setting up situations where you force your opponent to use more cards than you do. So, for example, you may have to use two cards to kill one of your creatures. Yes, and um, disadvantage is basically the opposite, where you have less cards, and thus options, than your opponent. Again, generally this refers to cards in hand, so it may not matter if you've only got one creature in play and your opponent's got four creatures in play. If you've got four cards in your hand and they've got, like, no cards in hand, then you've got card advantages because you have more options available yeah. to you in your hand. So, an, an example of card disadvantage would be classic Force of Will. So, Force of Will, you cast it to counter one of your opponent's spells... And if you don't want to pay five mana, you have to discard a blue card from your hand. Therefore, you lose two cards to counter your opponent's one card. That's card disadvantage, isn't it? Yeah. That force mill must be, must be rubbish. No. <laughs> so uh, what happens when we talk about uh, chomping or doing a chomp block? Uh, that is where you sacrifice a creature in combat, basically, to prevent damage, and you get no other benefit out of it. You're just throwing a guy in front of a monster of some description which you can't otherwise deal with, and you're basically sacrificing a guy with no other benefit. You know, uh, you're, you're not gaining from it, you're just stalling. I'd be careful using the word sacrifice here, saying that has a yeah, specific game term. Yeah, that's true. But you, you do know what I mean. You know what I mean. Listeners out there know what I mean, don't you guys? Nod, everyone nod. Right, cool. So, you block with a creature which has no chance of killing the attacker who's attacking you, and that's it. Your guy dies. Yeah, it's got no chance of killing, nor any chance of living. Yeah. So, like, a 1-1 in front of a 6-6 is a chance. It's gen- generally the last case, you know, the last thing you want to be trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Craig? Yes. What's CMC? So CMC, which stands for Converted Mana Cost, is to do with how much a card costs to play. So CMC is not talking about that cancel costs one blue and blue. It's talking about it costs three. Yeah. So it's, it's the one plus the two blue mana, so one plus two equals three. So Converted Mana Cost is all about how much total sort of generic mana yeah. a card costs. So if you're searching for something with converted mana cost three, you don't have to find something which is three colorless. It could be like two in a green, one a red and a blue, you know, anything which all the mana symbols add up to three in the end. Mm. 
And remember, yeah. if you have an spell with X, then X is zero unless it's on the stack. Just a heads up. So Fireball's, uh, yeah, Fireball's X and red, so it has a converted mana cost of one, because the X is zero and the red mana is one. There you go. Yeah, and there, there's certain cards whose converted mana cost can actually change during the game, like, say, like flip cards can become converted mana cost zero when they flip over, because they don't have a mana cost on the flip side, or yeah. things like that. Tokens as well. Tokens don't have a converted mana cost. That's correct. Uh, so, what do I mean by counter? If I'm to counter something. Yeah, that's basically when... I mean, it's usually a blue spell, but it is targeting a spell or ability on the stack and it cancels it out and says it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the original, or at least the classic, counter is just counter spell. So that's where the terms derive from, I suppose. So any anything which does the same thing as a counter spell usually just gets called a counter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, counter does actually appear in the card, but they're still worth covering. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's actually a term, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but it, I think it's still it's worth. Not just, it's not just slang, is it? No. So what does it mean to deck someone, Craig? To deck someone is to uh, reduce their library down to zero, so that the next time, when you when you happen to need to draw a card from a library with zero cards in it, you lose the game. And that is, you are decked. That would be the... Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. So to deck someone is to basically move cards from their library into the graveyard, and thus when they try to draw from an empty library, you lose. Yeah. So uh, what does it mean by draw? You really ask me what it is to draw, Craig. <laughs> okay, so I know. Uh, either it would be for a game to end in a tie, or <laughs> to uh, take a card from the top of your library and put it in your hand. What is draw go then, Craig? So draw go is something you're likely to see uh, someone do. They're just going to draw a card and they're just going to say go. It just means all they're doing with their turn is drawing the card and passing and doing absolutely nothing else. So this could be someone who, say, has only one land in play and they can't play any of their spells from their cards. So they just draw their card, see it's not a land, they can't play anything, and they just say go. Yeah, you also get specific decks which are built to play like this. Here's which are basically sort of counter-spell-based decks, a real control decks, where you just draw and go. I mean, like, I think Cobblade kind of played out a bit like that. It was more kind of a little bit aggro-y, but it was basically play an island, go. Play another island, go. And it was basically a counter-battle to see who dominated the board. Yeah, the, the, the second you do anything, I'm going to play a counter-spell to stop you, and that's why I'm not using any mana during my turn, because I'm using another mana during your turn to stop you doing anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. What do I mean when I talk about a dual land? Uh, dual lands are basically a land which can produce two different mana types. So instead of producing a red source, it would produce, say, a red and a white source. And, you know, often there's a drawback attached to it. I mean, most of the time when I hear people speaking about dual lands, they're talking about the core set ones. You know, the, the, what I would call basic dual lands, because, uh, other, Lands tend to have other nicknames. So, for example, I don't know if we've got shop lands in the list. Yeah, that's going further down. Yeah, other lands tend to have other nicknames. So when I hear people talking about dual lands, it's usually referencing the core set ones. The original dual lands, however, also have a different meaning. So these are the ten original lands which produce two different colours of mana coming from 
older oh, Beskid Alpha. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the other meaning. And yeah, the corset ones I think are generally called Czech lands. Because they oh, have right. to check when they come into the battlefield whether there is, say, a mountain or forest in play for Rootbound Crag to come in untapped. So. Yeah, yeah. But there's many different terms for yeah, the different yeah. types of dual lands. But generically, it means anything which taps for... Two different things. Two yeah. different colours of mana. Specifically, it refers to the original ones from our, uh, from Alpha and Beta, etc. Yeah. Okay, what are dudes? Dudes are simply creatures. Simply creatures on the battlefield. So my, my dudes on the battlefield are my creatures on the battlefield. Simple as that. What is an engine? Okay, it's basically a card which allows you to set up a recurrent situation. I mean, it's, I don't think it's quite an infinite loop, but it's, it's something that when you play it, it triggers something else, and that thing allows you to perform a certain action repeatedly. You know, or, or two or three times maybe in a turn, or enough times to fuel a deck. Does that make sense? An engine is usually something that happens repetitively and it's usually what the deck that you're playing is based around. So you'd say, this is what my deck's trying to do and this is the engine that's powering it. You know, these three cards working together or whatever it is. I'm trying to think of an example, Craig. Can you think of an example? You could consider <laughs> by himself Krenko Mob Boss as an engine. When you tap him and pay some mana, he produces a goblin. The next time yeah. you do it, he produces two. The next time he does it, he produces four additional goblins, and then eight. That is a token-producing engine, as one example. Yeah. But you also get mana-producing engines. Uh, Verdant Haven plus a gate plus Greenside Watcher could be considered a mana uh, engine. Because using yeah. those three cards, you can get four mana per turn. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like something that allows you to power a deck, I would say. That's, that's how I see it, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I have used my engine to hit you to the face with something. What is it? What's your face, Craig? So if you're saying I deal damage to your face... Lava axe to the face! ...is a key example. That simply means I'm targeting you as a player. So yeah. lava axe to the face means you're doing five damage to me. Although admittedly, lava axe can only target a player. But anyways. Yeah. That's why it's funny, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to scream lava axe to the face, didn't you? I did. I did. Okay, uh, <laughs> so we've been talking about dual lands. What is a fetch land, and what does it mean when I crack something? Okay, so a fetch land are the lands, they're, hmm, I'm trying to think of the names of them. I can't remember, there's like one that's Arid Messers, the name of them, but they're from the Zendikar block. And what they essentially do is you pay one life, and they fetch out one of two lands that I'd be like, they're usually, they're the friendly colours, aren't they? Or do they have opposing colour ones as well? So in Zendikar, there was enemy pairs, and I can't remember, there's an earlier set which has the allied pairs. Yeah. It'll be, yeah, it'll be one of those same block, I think. It was Zendikar and be like World Wake or something like that, or... Do you no, want it's, a, it's a lot earlier, I want to say Odyssey. Really? Yeah. We should check this out now. Check it, Craig, check it with your fancy card checker. I don't think so. It was Onslaught. For example, Polluted Delta, tap, pay one life, sacrifice Polluted Delta, then search your library for an island or swamp card and put it into the battlefield. Then really? I didn't realise. I thought they were all Zendikar block. Okay. No. no. <laughs> so yes, when I crack a land... Yeah, it's basically where you, where you activate it and sacrifice it to fetch the land you're looking for. Yeah. What is your field? 
That's simply short for the battlefield. People decided to miss out the first part yeah. of the word. But it's like lazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, a bit like board. It's missing yeah. out side, sideboard, battlefield. Oh, come on, I'm not that bad. I'm, you bored already? Uh, ha ha ha. <laughs> well, if I'm bored of this, then I will want to use my finisher. What does that mean? That is basically the card that ends the game, hopefully. Or the play that ends the game. Like, in olden days, if you played Fireball and the spell Channel, that would be your finisher. Yep. As long as you had more lives than your opponent. What is a French vanilla creature? So, a French vanilla creature is a creature which only has one keyworded ability. So, for example, Syndicate Tives is a 2-2 for 2 mana, which happens to make him a bear, but he also has Extort. Simple, one ability... That makes him French vanilla. If he didn't have extort, well, we'll get to that later, but he would Yeah, is it worth mentioning vanilla at this point? Yeah, so vanilla is simply a creature with no abilities, so grizzly bears is simply a 2-2 for 2, then that's just vanilla. If it's a 2-2 for 2 with extort, that becomes French vanilla, 2-2 with, uh, as long as it's only got the one ability, and that's it, then it's French vanilla. Yeah. What is a functional reprint? That's where... Right, we'll go back to grizzly bears. Uh, Crystal Bears was a 2-2 for a green and a white, not a white, a colourless. And uh, that was printed in 4th edition, for example. And then in a later set, see Ice Age, they printed Baldivin Bears. And that was a green and a colourless for a 2-2, which was also a bear, which was exactly the same card with a slightly different name. A more recent example would be Giant Spider... Becoming Towering Indrik? Is that right? Yeah, it's it, so, that's basically a functional reprint, the difference being it's no longer a spider and is now a beast. Yeah. The, it's just where the... I mean, there's a lot of fireball variants and cards... Yeah. It's basically where, the, where it has exactly the same effect with no difference. Generally, the names change. Occasionally, if it's a creature, you may find the types change. For example, Giant Spider's a spider, Towering Indrik's a beast... But other than that, they are the equivalent, so they're a functional reprint of one another. Yeah. yeah. What is to go infinite, Craig? Right, there's two meanings of go infinite. The first one is to produce some sort of loop that I can do for basically as many repetitions as I want, or infinite times I want, uh, to some effect. So I could create an engine which produces infinite mana, that there's some sort of loop that just constantly generates more and more mana each turn, and I can just repeat that as much as I want. Uh, the Boros Reckoner Near Heath Pilgrim Boros Charm, that can create an inf- uh, a state where I can infinitely generate life, so I can just say, and I repeat this loop a billion times, and I have three billion life. That's effectively yeah. infinite. Uh, the other meaning go infinite is to do magic online. If you are really good at magic online and very successful... You can constantly gain, uh, your, from your, your winnings will grow over time and you can use those winnings to keep fueling playing the game and you can go infinite where effectively you put a certain amount of money into Magic Online and you can play for an indefinite amount of time for as long as you're going infinite because you're just getting enough stuff to fuel your constant playing or your constant drafting or something like that. So that's the second yeah. meaning of going infinite. What well, one point to note about, uh, going infinite in, in a game, like making an infinite combo, for example, uh, if you set up a, a, a game state which 
is infinite uh, and you have no option of changing it or breaking it. So, for example, if you oblivion ring your opponent's oblivion ring and then he oblivion rings your oblivion ring and there's no other permanents in play, yeah, that will just loop. But oblivion rings will come in and out of play forever and that ends the game effectively. I think it's, it's a draw if that happens. Yeah, if an unbreakable loop occurs, or a loop occurs that no player is willing to deviate from. So, for example, say I had my Nearest Bilgrim, Boros Reckoner, Boros Charm thing, and I literally just wanted to continue gaining life, and I was Forever. refusing to break it, the game ends in a draw. Yeah. Now, one interesting thing about Magic, Magic is not a best-of-three environment. It is the first to two. So you can have ten draws... And you still have to, somebody still has to win twice. Yeah. Although by that time you've gone to ta- time and the judge is annoyed with you, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, what am I talking about when I'm talking about jank? Usually it just refers to inferior cards that aren't worth the cardboard. So basically something which isn't worth putting in your deck because it's so underpowered or overcosted. Something that's not very good, Craig. Yep. You know? What is your mana curve, Craig? Your mana curve is when you look at your deck and you're putting it all into sort of columns based on your converted mana cost, then you should be able to see a curve. You may start at like 6-1 drops and move up to 8-2 drops and then 10-3 drops and then start moving down to like 9-4 drops and so on. That's your mana curve. So it's a bit... It's about your frequency of, of cards at each mana cost. And, yeah. yeah, if you've got a high mana curve, then that means you've got a lot of expensive spells, which means you sort of need to wait a while before you can start playing them. If you have a really low mana curve, then you can generally throw two or three creatures by turn four, and uh, you're probably playing a very aggressive deck. So, Yeah. And you do not want a mana block, which is where you've got an equal amount of cards of each mana point, because um, it doesn't really work very well. <laughs> um, what is a mana dork? Oh, see, this is a phrase I don't particularly use myself, Craig, but I know what it is. It's a creature which produces mana. An example of that would be your basic Lanowar Elf or a Birds of Paradise or something to that effect. Something you, a creature which you can use to produce mana. I mean, I, I would even include like Arbor Elf as a mana dork, even though he himself doesn't produce mana, but he provides mana by un- untapping a land. You know? Yeah. What would happen if you were mana flooded, Craig? Mana flooded, uh, then I would have quite a lot, I would have drawn, and maybe had in my initial hand, quite a lot of mana, and unfortunately I just keep drawing land, and I'm not able to draw any spells. So I have plenty of mana, and basically nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, nobody can come back from drawing eight or nine lands on the trot. <laughs> Generally not. Uh, so what happens if your mana screwed? Well, you know, this is actually, see, the term we used to use, back in the olden days before we got out in the community was mana jam and that was to do with having actual physically sticky cards with jam on them because of my little brother and him being only three or five or something like that but the term mana screw is basically where you don't have enough mana for whatever it is you are trying to do so it's usually a result of not shuffling your deck properly but it's where you sit for the most of the game with maybe just two or three land and it's not enough and you die because of it. Yeah, there's a slight variant of mana screw which is colour screw where you may have enough land to cast your spells but you don't have the right colour of land to cast the spells. So you may have five mana in play but if you don't have the red you need then you can't play your four and a red card. We're talking about 
uh, mana screw and mana flooding and things. There was something, it was a term that uh, somebody used, it wasn't recently, it was a while ago, but I quite liked it. It was kind of geological term. And it's when he, when he hits a mana seam. Okay. And it's like when you hit a seam of mana in your deck, so it's maybe three or four uh, land cards on top of each other. I thought it was just a really nice term because it is quite like just sliced into your deck and this little bit here, there's a seam of mana there and there's a seam there. There's a seam of uh, removal. I just really like the idea of having a, a mana seam. Anyway. Yeah, okay, I've never heard small, of that. A small aside, neither heard I. It was just this one individual had said it and I thought that's actually a really nice we are referring that, referring to that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask you about the meta game. So the meta game is talking about what sort of decks people are playing. So, for example, in the modern meta game, people play the eggs deck, people play Jund, people play play um, Naya and Band Control, for example. The metagame is understanding what people are playing, and then you can play decks which generally can beat the other decks being played. So if you know, for example, that everybody's playing uh, really fast, hyper-aggressive decks, which are, you know, turn two, turn three, doing a lot of damage, you can build a deck against that metagame, which, you know, just stops a sort of ground assault at that very early turns. So the metagame is about understanding what people are playing, and thus you can react to it and play decks which are good against generally what you're going to find. Yeah, you also find that meta games also can be quite regional. So you could be playing the same format, say you play modern, uh, and you could be playing it in your local area. And you might find that your local area, everybody's playing control, and everybody's sideboards are geared towards uh, anti-control measures, whatever that might be. And then you go play somewhere different and find that everybody plays aggro decks there, and your sideboard or your deck maybe doesn't suit that particularly well. So that's just, uh, just saying that, you know, metagame can be quite a regional thing or it can be a format thing as well. Yeah. So what is mill or what is milling? Uh, milling comes from the original mill card, Millstone, which was a two-mana artifact which allowed you to remove the top two cards of a person's library and put them in their graveyard each turn. And it is basically the process of decking somebody. So uh, we're talking about metagames, and if you're in the metagame and you found yourself in a mirror or mirror match, where would you be, Craig? Uh, so a mirror is where you are playing basically the same sort of deck you're playing. So I'm playing Jund. My opponent happens to be playing Jund. So that would be a mirror match because we're effectively playing the same sort of deck. And I have an interesting story about this too, Craig. Okay. <laughs> you know when you're talking about metagaming? Yeah. And you think you're, uh, you, you, you think you know what to expect in your local metagame, or maybe you don't. I recently went to a, a PTQ in Dundee, you may have been there. I, I may well have been there as well. You may have been there, yeah. And in my first round, I was playing against a fellow, and, uh, I thought I had brought a fairly obscure deck to, uh, this PTQ. I didn't think I had a great chance of winning it with this deck. I didn't do very good with it. That's beside the point. I thought I was being fairly, you know, I thought I was thinking fairly outside the box and found myself in a round one mirror match against ninjas. <laughs> yeah, so both of you came in with ninjas. And yeah. Yes. That ended up being 4% of the metagame. Yeah, 
because it's quite a small event. Talk about the mirror match at that PDQ. There was a Gone to Time Eggs v. Eggs mirror match. <laughs> That'll teach them. <laughs> we'll get to eggs later if you've never heard the term, but oh, thankfully, they can, one conceded to the other in turn one. Oh, <laughs> otherwise, that could have been half an hour of my life gone watching that. Anyways, so we talked about Mill. What is Mull? Mull is abbreviation for Mulligan, and it is when you don't like your opening hand and you decide to change it for one less card. Yep. And then you can hear people say Snap Mull, which means they've looked at the cards and they're going, yeah, I can't keep that for sure. I'll yeah. quickly go Mulligan, but... Quite often you'll hear people getting a little confused and saying, oh, I'll mill that. And it's like, no, you mean you're going to mull that? <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you don't, you're not milling yourself, you're mulling yourself. In fact, you're doing the opposite of mill because you're putting a card back in your library. Anyway. <laughs> Indeed. So, Craig, uh, what is net decking? Okay, so that's playing a deck in the Netrunner game, which is recently out by Fantasy Flight. No, sorry. So, net decking. <laughs> uh, net decking is where you go onto the internet, uh, you find somebody's posted up a deck somewhere. You may, say, for example, look at the top eight of a recent Grand Prix and see that somebody's playing a deck you sort of want to play, like, uh, say, Tom Martell's Aristocrats, and you go, right, that looks like a good deck, I'll just copy that and play that, and that's me. And that is a net deck, for it is a deck you've got from the internet. Yay. See when it comes to net decking, Craig. Do you frown or are you a fan? Because I am very ignorant of how the constructed formats play, that is why it's a limited podcast, um, I will net deck because um, people far more experienced than me have made decks which seem to work well in the format. I will wholeheartedly copy it and uh, play that and, yeah do well, as I did in the Gate Crash Games Day, where I won with a net deck, with yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. alterations. So. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I personally don't frown, but that's because I am a neophyte when it comes to the constructed formats. I, I mean, I think, I think net decking's pretty much essential these days, isn't it? Especially if you're new to a format, just to find find out what's out there. Anyway. I, I think most people will base their decks off of a deck they found online, but the question is, do you just literally copy and paste that, or do you make alterations? And that's where... It stops being a net deck and starts being, oh, it's like that, but, you know, it's my own spin on it. Yeah, I mean, there are there are pitfalls to doing it, isn't there? Because you've got to have... All the cards. Trust, trust, well, no, you've got to have trust <laughs> in the person that made the deck. You can't just go and take any old deck off the, offline, because it could be made by anybody. Yeah, I may have made it, and then you certainly don't want to listen to me. Yeah. Or, uh, well, we were talking about metagame earlier as well. Some of these decks are made with a certain metagame in mind. And that might not be the case for wherever you're playing. Anyway, beside the point. Craig, what's the next point? Uh, so, if I want to ping you, what am I doing? That is when you're in command of a submarine, and you want to let another submarine know you're there, but you're not necessarily hostile. You say, ping them, you go, boo! Okay. And then you wait for the answer. And if they go, boo, pack, then they're not hostile. But if they shoot you with a torpedo, then they are. Now, now do you have to wait until they've shot the torpedo, or when the torpedo hits you? I'm not sure. I've, okay. You know, I've never, I've, I, only, I only saw Red Hunt for Red October. Right. You know, pretty okay. much it. Okay, let me ask a different question. <laughs> Let's say we're sitting down a magic. All right, okay, yeah. Okay, and, I, and I've and i got a creature, and I'm going to ping you with my creature. All right, this is when you have a Tim, and you ping them with a creature. That's what you do, don't you? That's you tap your guy, and you ping them. Ping them for one. One damage. 
Yeah, it's a creature that does one direct damage to a creature or player. And it's not always a creature. You can ping with an artifact or even some enchantments will allow you to ping. Yeah, Staff of Nin pings. Um, there is a Starcaster sort of pings because it does one damage with every creature of the same name. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to start doing that. Noise. <laughs> I'm doing it every... That's Boo. not going to be annoying in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. What's next, Craig? Oh, it's me to tell you, isn't it? It is. Uh, how about playset, Craig? So, uh, if I've got a playset or something, that just means I've got four copies of something. Saying four is the maximum amount of a card you can play in a constructed format. If I've got four Thrag Tusks, I have a playset of Thrag Tusks. And, in theory, that's all I need to play any deck, which includes Thrag Tusks. So, a playset simply means just having four of a card. When did, right, Craig, here's a, here's a random question for you. Do you have any idea when that rule that, that you must have four of a, well, you could have a maximum of four of a card in your deck came into play? Because I was reading a thing recently, and it was my old, uh, Magic Encyclopedia, and it was talking about one of the original deviant decks being, consisting entirely of mountains and lightning bolts. Right? And I'm thinking, hmm. That would not be a very interesting deck to play, but, you know, but what stage did they decide that you needed to have a maximum, a minimum of, no, a maximum of four? <laughs> I think there's been two major rule uh, shifts in the game. So when 6th edition came out, basically basically you had your little rule book which you got with whatever came before, yeah. and it was very simple, and it, it just didn't cover many top. I mean, the basic rule book you read, the sort of 20-page document or something like that, which has a lot of big pictures and, you know, there's a lot of white space. That was basically the official rules of the game until 6th edition. Yeah, I mean, what you've got to remember is the rulebook used to come inside a starter box. And it was the exact dimensions of a card and had little pages of tiny little writing on it. Yeah. You know, that was the rules of the game, complete. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, so I think probably 6th edition is when it came out. I think the other big rule change was when um, 10 came out, or 10th edition came out, I can't quite remember. And then there was, of course, also the Great Creature update. I think I missed a word in that term there, which came out <laughs> around 8th edition, where they suddenly went, you can no longer just have summon creature, you now have to say creature, human, something, you know. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, th- I guess playsets uh, where you could only have four of a card... I think that would probably be sick for Ed when the rules majorly changed. That's yeah. probably when they came out. Still cool. Right. So going further back in time from before sixth edition, there was the <laughs> Power Nine. We've talked about this recently, haven't we, Craig? We have talked about the Power Nine in the past, yeah. These are these incredibly powerful, well, relatively powerful cards. They're pretty damn powerful. Of which there are nine of from the Alpha set, which are now all pretty valuable because of their brokenness. In Legacy. Yes, they usually <laughs> go for $2,000 a pop. Well, the Moxes do. Uh, do you know the Nine? Well, you no, know the, the Nine. Mox- the Moxes aren't that bad, are they? I mean, uh, I've seen I've seen Lotuses up at that. Let's have that's, a look. Uh, that's what they're asking for them anyway. <laughs> I, I know I've asked you this before, but uh, can you just quickly reel off the Nine, Power Nine? Oh, God, right. Black Lotus, Mox Sapphire, uh, Mox Ruby... Mox Pearl, Mox Jet, Mox Emerald, just to cover the yeah. Oh my word. The one with the big zuger in the background and the guy's holding his, his ears in his hand. Ancestral uh, Recall. That's the one. Uh, uh, there's also Time Twister. Yeah, there's there's a few. There's nine of them. I'm never going to own one. 
we've, we've missed out something. Uh, Time Twister, Time Walk, Ancestral Recall, The Five Moxes, and uh, Black Lotus, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're several hundred pounds, several hundred dollars at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mint lotuses from Alpha go for a lot. Yeah. If they've been graded and put in a plastic packet. Or at least they, they have a high asking price. I don't know if anybody actually buys them. You see them on eBay a lot. Hmm. Uh, if you hear about power, then that also re- refers to the Power 9. If a cube, which we talked about last episode, is powered, then that means it has parts of the Power 9 in it. Yeah. Uh, although it, power can also mean cards which are very close to the Power 9 of power, like Library of Alexandria tends to be called the 10th power card, but. Hmm. So yes, Power 9. Yay! Precon! So a precon simply is short for pre-constructed. So if you buy your uh, deck for FNM, just your 60 cards with a foil rubble hulk at the front, that is a pre-constructed gruel deck. Or yeah. if you buy the event decks, they're also pre-constructed decks because when you buy them, you know exactly what cards are going to be inside for they have been previously constructed precons. Yeah. So if I say something is pro-something, like pro-white, what am I talking about? Oh, you're talking about protection. I thought you were going to go say, like, pro-player. <laughs> but no. Uh, yeah, there, there is also that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, if it's pro-something, if it's pro-fight, uh, pro-creatures, pro-artifacts, whatever it is, it's got the keyword ability protection and all that entails. Uh, what would it mean to pump something, Craig? That means I'm going to increase generally a creature's power and toughness. So, for example, Giant Growth gives a target creature plus three, plus three. I would be pumping a creature if I was to cast a stat spell on it. Pretty straightforward. Just make something bigger. Yep. Uh, If I was to punt a game, what have I done? You have made a critical error which was easily foreseeable. It's like, for example, your opponent has lethal damage on board and you leave no blockers when you could have. And he attacks you and kills you. And you basically punt the game. It's basically just making a, a foreseeable mistake and overlooking it. You know? Yeah. Not like, not like take, making a calculated risk and it going the wrong way. It's when you make a very obvious mistake. Okay. So once you've made your very obvious mistake, would it be viable to rage quit? What would it be to rage quit, Craig? Uh, to rage quit, that simply means uh, you have got me in such a state of agitation, or potentially I've got myself in such a state of agita- agitation because, say, I punted the game and I can foresee my inevitable doom because of my own mistake, and I quit the game in a humph, growling, <laughs> slapping the cards down the table, going, I'm never playing this game again, and, you know, flipping the table and just... I, I am quitting the game in a rage. Yeah. You, you, you've heard this on the internet a lot, but yeah. You, My deck hates me! I, ah! I ill-advise doing that for aggressive behaviour is a disqualifying event. Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend you to the video, I can't remember the exact name of it, on YouTube. Go to YouTube, look for Francis Quits Magic. And uh, the it's a, it's a really funny video. The guy that's in it is actually a YouTube comedian, I suppose, and he's got this character who's uh, the stereotypical geek, I suppose, for want of a better word. Fair enough. But, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a caricature, but it's funny. Because <laughs> you don't have to look too far to see where they draw the characters from. Anyway. Right. Um, so, if you were to ramp, what are you doing? 
I'm increasing the amount of mana I have at my disposal before my time. So turn three, I'd be able to have four mana instead of three mana. So it's basically giving myself more mana than, I, than I'm meant to have in some way or other, either through enchantments or allowing me to play extra land or play mana dorks, you know? Or playing some of the power nine, the moxes. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's more, more, more mana than I have any right to have. Uh, what is recursion, Craig? So recursion is where you're able to, uh, cast a spell more than once. Um, flashback, which we saw in Innistrad and Dark Ascension, that's recursion because you cast a spell once, and then the spell is then sitting in your graveyard to cast again. So you can recur, uh, recur it. Um, buyback is another mechanic which allows you to do that. There's, it's not retrace, rebound, that was it. That's also a recursive thing. There's also a graveyard recursing where, say, a creature dies, and you may have a spell which returns that creature from the graveyard to your hand or from the graveyard to the battlefield. That is also a recursion spell, because you get a second use of the card when, sort of like ramp, you don't have any right to. You know, once something's in the graveyard, it should be done and dusted. But. Yeah. Good good example, Bloodgast? Or... Uh, uh, rise from the Grave from M13? Yeah, or even something like Rancor has recursion... Uh, scavenge as well, that you get a sec, I mean, that's a second alternate use out of a card, but it's still, yeah. recursion is of some. Flashback? Yeah, flashback, yeah. Yeah. All good examples of recursion. Yep. Um, so, what is removal? Removal is when you're, you have a card which removes another card from play, I suppose it might be. Usually it's talking about a creature, so, and, it's usually something that either says destroy, target creature or it'll do a certain amount of damage to a creature. So for example, Doomblade is a removal spell. Usually they have conditions, but not always. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty simple, straightforward. Yeah, just getting something out of the way. Yeah. Yep. So what is a rogue deck, Craig? Uh, a rogue deck, so we've talked about the metagame before and there will be in a metagame pre established decks which people know do well. I aforementioned Jund or Eggs or American Control, I think we have in Standard, or the Aristocrats, for example. A rogue deck is a is something new. It's a bit experimental. It's quite original. It's not something people have generally seen before. Because they haven't seen it before, they're not quite sure what it does. They're not quite sure how to sideboard against it. And you've got a chance of doing well because it's coming from nowhere. It's a rogue. They sneak up on you and uh, stab you from behind. And uh, yeah, hopefully you do well with your rogue deck. Yeah, I mean, a good example of Rogue Deck would be Pat Chapin's Dragonstorm back in the day. Took the whole format by surprise at the time. Uh, I think Alexander Haynes' Miracles deck was probably a Rogue Deck uh, coming into... Yeah, possibly, yeah. Was that Dark Ascension, Protear Dark Ascension, I think? maybe yep. No, Protear Arbison Restored, of course. Yeah, yeah Arbison Restored, yeah. Yeah, so that was a Rogue Deck. So something which nobody expected, and because they don't expect it, they don't know how to deal with it. And fingers crossed you should win. Yay! Or not. <laughs> if you go with the rogue ninja deck that somebody else has brought to. Well. <laughs> um, that roguish. So if I'm going to sack something, what am I doing? You are sacrificing it to another card which has an ability which allows you to do that and get some advantage somehow. It might be something along the lines of sacrifice a goblin, make two goblins. In the case of goblin warrens. Or it's not always beneficial. Something. If I use barter on blood, I'm causing you to sack two creatures. Oh, that's just true. 
Well, yeah, it's sac- yeah sac- force, sac- forcing your opponent to do it similar way, don't you? Yeah. It's just an abbreviation for sacrifice, because we're lazy, apparently, and we can't say the full word. Yeah. Yeah, I can. We should just say S. S. That. <laughs> S stands for snow mana, obviously. Uh, or it could stand for <laughs> scoop. So scooping, that's simply... Uh, <laughs> Oh, you, you sort of know what the action of scooping is. It's sort of collecting everything together in one big bundle. That's basically what you're doing to all your cards on the table. When you know you've lost the game, you collect all the cards on the table up into one big pile because you're scooping, and that basically just means you're conceding the game or you know you've lost or you have actually been defeated. Although, yeah. you can also just scoop up, say, all your creatures if you've just had a board wipe. So you just scoop them all up true. and drop them all in the graveyard. So scoop just generally means gathering all your cards at one, generally because... It's got, you've got rid of all the cars or you just lost the game. Usually it's, you see, oh, I scooped it. That, so I got, just got lava to the face and I scooped. <laughs> you know? Yes. Because I lost. And then I rage quit. Because why did I have lava axe? I'd studied the metagame. Anyway. Okay. Too far, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, what's a shock land? Shock land is one of the cycles of lands from either Re- Ravnica, is it Dissension? Yep. Dissension, uh, I suppose now Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash. And which, Guild Pack, don't forget about Guild Pack. Oh, Guild Pack, they'll have them too. Which, uh, are dual lands, which come to play untapped if you take two damage. And two damage being the amount of damage you take from a basic shock spell, which is a red spell that costs one mana and does two damage. So you effectively shock yourself to cast the land, or to use the land. And uh, that's basically it. Yep, you, you get you went a bit robotic there, but I'll probably keep that in. I'm not quite okay, sure what happened cool. there. Anyways, um, <laughs> right. So what does it mean to ship? Uh, shipping just generally means I'm passing the turn over to you. It, it, well, it's just, see, I, that's not how I would... I, I, I use uh, shipping it as a term during draft. When, say for example, I get given the opportunity to change colours into something tasty, but then I decide not to, I'd say, oh, well, I shipped it to my left. So then I know the person to my left has now got that card. Uh, that's how I would use it. All right. Well, am I, I wrong? Is that, am I, am I, no, actually, I, you're I right. I, I just forgot about that meaning. I'm, I'm, I was purely thinking of the part where you just go, I ship the turn to you, which simply just means pass. It's just a different word for pass the turn. Which I guess is the same in draft, where you just pass the card, you ship yeah, the card off. I suppose so, yeah. I, I guess it's just a stand-in for the word pass, effectively. Because again, pass and ship, I mean, clearly ship makes a lot more sense. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of funny quirks in these <laughs> words. Like, why don't you just say the word in question? Because that'd be too obvious, duh. You know. Yeah, and then then people who didn't play the game would would know what we were talking about, exactly. and then we wouldn't be able to spot the outsiders. Obviously. True. True. What happens if I'm going to smash? If you're going to smash, what? Like, smash face. <laughs> I can smash face. I can just smash into you. Yeah, I suppose it's just a a big attack with a big guy. I suppose it's just it's just another word just for an attack, a- really. Yeah, smashing. Because of course, saying attack, smash clearly makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I suppose it's got a primal thing about it. But yeah, yeah. Hey ho! So, what does it mean to be strictly better, Craig? Um, if a card is strictly better, it's kind of self-evident. The card is better, and you can make the clear distinction about why it's better. Right, so a card that's strictly better. Uh, example, Silvercoat Lion from M13. It costs one and a white, and it's a 2-2. Two, two. 
Seneca Tives is one and a white and has a 2-2 with extort. So it is strictly better for it has more abilities. It could do more stuff. Yeah. And you may also find there are cars which are just like slightly cheaper. You may find, for example, a a 2-2 for 3 mana, which does something when it comes into play. And you may find the same 2-2, which is the same thing when it comes into play, for only 2 mana. That 2 mana card would be strictly better than 3 mana card, because it costs 1 less mana, and otherwise it's exactly the same. So Yeah. I mean, it's worth noting that sometimes you'll get a situation where a card is better. So, like, say you've got a a 2-2 for 2. Or, say you've got a 2-2 for 3, and a 2-2 for 2. You'd say the 2-2 for 2 is strictly better than the 2-2 for 3. Even though there may be situations that could exist where a higher mana cost would be beneficial. I don't know, there could be. Do you know what I mean? There could uh, You could con- contrive situations where it would be better to have the more expensive creature. Maybe have a card that works off high costs or whatever it is. But the strictly better thing is just when you compare card to card without any Context. convolute yeah any yeah any convolute situation just in a vacuum yeah um, you can also say some cards are better like I, I was actually initially thinking of the comparison between divination and inspiration they mm. both draw you two cards and divination is one uh, colorless mana cheaper than inspiration the difference being one is an instant and one is a sorcery so I can't say it's strictly better because they're slightly different they got different times when they can be asked, but yeah. you could just say that divination is better if you don't care about when you're casting it. So, um, yeah, it's quite a big F, though. True, true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's let's not get into this. Uh, what's our next subject? Uh, so, what does the term swing mean? That is just the same as saying smash, is it not? It, I swing with all my guys. Yep. I swing with this guy. Yep, it, it, it just sure means is. attack. It's just another word for attack, which people use because attack is too straightforward. Yeah. Oh, it's me again, is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Craig? <laughs> what is a tap land? Uh, tap land is just a land which comes into play tapped. Now, generally, this is because it's got some ability. For example, the shock lands will come into play tapped because the benefit is you can get two different colours of mana from them. Although, with shock lands, you can take damage, so they come in untapped. Other cards will just come in tapped because it says that on the card and there's no way to come in untapped. For example, there were cards in Worldwake and Zendikar. They gave you some effect when they came into play, but the disadvantage was they were tapped as they came into play. So I can I can think of recent ones as well, Craig. The gates. Go the gates, yeah. Crikey, that totally stepped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, all the gates are tap lands. Yeah. That, that's, sorry, that's a perfect example, Crikey. It's because we've been talking about too many old cards to come up with examples of... Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's my fault. I've been reminiscing recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, so I've played one tap land, but let's say I'm tapped out. What does that mean? That means you've expended all the mana that you have available. Yep. Basically. I thought you can also have tapped out all your guys. I suppose you could have, yeah. You could have tapped out your guys. You could tap out your lands. You could tap out your artifacts, I suppose. And here, I'm sure we've talked about this before, if not, when you swing with the team. Um, so the team just refers to all the creatures you got. Swinging with the team just means attack of all the creatures. Yeah, alpha, alpha strike. strike. Exactly. <laughs> it's just another term for alpha striking. So what is tech? Um, it's basically a specific strategy against a certain thing. Or uh, it's like... Maybe something that you've noticed within the format that 
isn't immediately obvious and something that you can use. So there was a, a deck I used to draft back in Scars of Meriden, which I'm sure I've mentioned before, which involved collecting up all the, I think they were Veldican infusers or something, Veldican something or other, put charge counters on things, and there were artifacts which got charge counters, and nobody ever drafted the Colossus Foundry or whatever it was called, and it made 9-9 Colossuses, and you allowed you to build this uh, army of 9-9 guys. And, and basically, you could consider that little bit of knowledge that nobody drafted those particular cards, and they had this certain interaction. You could call that a little bit of tech, or secret tech. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's Is that right. what you're after, Craig? I, I mean, the other thing I've heard of is just... Uh tech in the cyborg, or super secret tech, which some people call it sort of a, it's a joke term, but it just mm. means they've got cards in the cyborg which specifically deal with a threat. So if you're playing against um, Bant Control, which uses thinks as revelation to gain lots of life, your tech in your cyborg may be Skullcrack, which stops them from gaining life. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. So that, that's the other definition I've heard. Yeah, it can also be like um, interactions with things that aren't immediately obvious. You know, so you might have, say, a fetch land in your deck, or fetch lands in your deck, and you might be playing monocolor. And there's, somebody will say, why have you got fetch lands in your deck? And you'll say, well, I've got them because I'm going to use ponder, or whatever it is, and I might want to shuffle my deck at some point. And it allows you to shuffle your deck. And it's, a, it's a, these sort of strange interactions which are tech, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, what would it mean to tilt, Craig? It's a bit similar to rage quitting. Tilt just means I've my mood's been negatively adjusted. Something's happened in a game where I'm not very happy about it, and it's now affecting my mood. I'm on tilt, which just basically means I'm sort of upset with the situation. I'm getting emotional, and I'm getting maybe a bit angry. It just means I'm I'm no longer on my game. Which hopefully, I don't have to describe that term, you know, because I've been negatively affected in some sort of way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a poker term, isn't it? That's been brought yeah. over. Just it, and it's actually a, some people use it as a tactic. If they think they can tilt their opponent, it's going to affect their game just by using some sort of psychology against them. If you think, I mean, I, I, personally, I wouldn't do it, but I've met people who will drum their fingers on the table while you're taking your turn. Just sit and drum their fingers, and just to annoy you, <laughs> you know. Or one uh, somebody was talking about earlier was go past your deck to shuffle. Then they'll cut it, and then turn one half of your deck the wrong way round, and riffle shuffle your deck together. So every second or third card is facing the wrong way in your deck, um, just to annoy you. Just, just a, by the way, you can call a judge on that. Can you? Yeah, because your deck has to be all the same orientation. That is oh. mandatory. Really? So if someone's done that, then they're trying to make your deck illegal. So I would call a judge over. Ah. FYI, yeah, because um, you could say you got all your cards sleeved, and I always check. I just uh, run my fingers over the cards to work out which end is open and which end's the bottom. Yeah. Effectively. Now, if I know all my cards in one orientation are land, and all the rest are non-land, yeah. then I know stuff I shouldn't, and that would be cheating. This is true. This so, is no, all your cards have to be the same orientation. So, if somebody tries that upside down trick, call a judge. Yeah, but I'm just get, I'm just making the point that people will use tilt. To their advantage, if they think they can rile you. Yeah, they may, they, they may want to tilt you to cause you to rage quit, because their deck may literally have no way of winning, <laughs> other than their opponent quitting in sheer frustration and anger. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people 
Tilton because, like, I've played a particularly powerful card, and they'll go, oh no, that'll get, hate that card. And I've seen it, I've seen it done because I, I think it was, it was a planeswalker or something. I can't remember which set it was, but I played this planeswalker, right? And my opponent just went, oh no, I hate that. And just focused all his attention on the planeswalker. Try to attack, try to attack, try to attack, try to get through, kill the planeswalker. The planeswalker had like four or five loyalty or whatever it was. And he completely missed the fact that I was only on two lives. And if he just attacked me, he'd have won. But yeah. he chose to go on tilt, attack the planeswalker, and lose. Hmm. Got a lot of Friday Night Magic. Got a lot of Friday Night Magic. Some of the personalities. I, I have another um, poker term, which we've not got on our list as far as I can see, Craig. Okay. The nut draw. Uh, that would be similar to top decking. Mm, is it? The, the nut draw is t- talking about like, getting the the perfect opening hand. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. I suppose it is different yeah. from top decking, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I guess you just described it perfectly. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> so, top decking? Yeah, uh, no, uh, before we get into top decking, what is a Tim? Oh. Now, unless you're talking about some type of player, Tim, Timmy, Tim. Yeah, t- no, no are you this talking is different about, from Timmy. Are you talking about a card? I'm talking about a type of card. Sorcerer? Are you talking about Prodigal Sorcerer, Craig? Yes. Because he used to get called Tim the Enchanter, didn't he? Yes. Uh, uh, as a Monty Python reference, but I'm not sure why. Is it, is it because it's a pinger? That well, your specific reference, which is to uh, Prodigal Sorcerer, is because yeah. yeah, he 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 looked a bit like Tim from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, uh, and so he was called Tim. Prodigal Sorcerer was called Tim, but now all cars, which all creatures which tap to do one damage, is a Tim, and generally yeah. they tend to be one ones. But it's slightly different from something which pings because it Tim is specifically about a creature, mm. but Tim's ping. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What is a top deck? So a top deck is when there's some board state where the only real way for you to progress your game or you to get back into the game or to finish the game is to get a specific card out of your deck. And then when you go to draw your card, if you draw the card you're needing, that is top decking the card. Yeah. So it's basically just about getting the exact thing you need for the situation you're in. That's a top deck. Yeah. Or... Yeah, exactly. Or you can have good top decks and bad top decks as well. Then that's just generally talking about what's on the top. but Yeah, the top of your deck. Yeah. <laughs> so what's happened if I've got a two-for-one? A two-for-one, we're talking about card advantage again. And it's basically what you're trying to do if you're trying to gain card advantage is get two of your opponent's cards for one of yours. So, for example, he puts an enchantment on one of his creatures and you use one of your spells to kill his creature and thus destroy an enchantment, you've got yourself a nice two-for-one. Uh, other situations can arise when you may counter spells or, you know, be able to affect situations. So, for example, he may uh, attack you with one of his creatures and then try to play a combat trick. You counter his combat trick. You've used one counter spell and hopefully killed his creature and removed the spell. So it's basically... Gaining card advantage by using one of your spells to get rid of one of his, uh, two of his, sorry. Um, occasionally it could also mean a card which has more than one ability. So for example, Clan Defiance has the ability to do X damage to a creature with flying, X damage to a creature while flying, and X damage to a player. So it could theoretically be a three for one if it can kill 
One creature which flies, one creature which doesn't fly, and then do damage to the player. Do you know what we're talking about when we're talking about a virtual two-for-one? That's getting a little bit hairy, so you may have to explain it to me. Okay, so a virtual two-for-one is where you have a spell which creates two cards. So, for example, you could have... Is Night Night's Watch an example? Yeah, because it creates two night, night tokens for your one card, and you've got a virtual two-for-one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> virtual two-for-one, it's not real two-for-one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the letter U? What does the letter U stand for when we're talking about colour pie or colours in general? Yeah, so you you will see uh, mana cost of cards being abbreviated. So, for example, something which costs one and a green will be called 1G. Uh, murder, which is one black and black, will be one BB. And then you'll find U, and you'll be like, what colour starts with U? And the answer is, no colour starts with U, but because blue and black both start with B, and uh, they both start with L, um, for some reason black ended up getting the, the letter B, and blue ended up being U. So I think because black's next letter is A, and that's first in the alphabet. Yeah, so I think that's sure. why black got B and blue got U. So if you yeah. see U somewhere, it simply means blue. Blue! I'm not sure whether it's worth asking this one, but we've sort of spoken about vanilla, but just to re-tread yeah. ground. Yeah, is vanilla? vanilla's a plain creature which has no abilities and is just power and toughness. Yep. And a picture. And some flavour text, maybe. What's a win con, Craig? Um, this is a win condition. So um, your win cons in your deck are your ways you're going to finish off the game, so in a reanimator deck um, you'll be getting a big creature of the graveyard, which will be doing enough damage to your opponent that they'll lose. You may have some sort of combo deck, which, you know, once you get a uh, engine in play, you'll win through the use of the engine, maybe doing infinite damage. It's just the ways you're winning the game. Yay! I mean, your win con can be as simple as I get lots of guys onto the battlefield and I swing with them and do damage and you die. Yeah. But sometimes it can be a bit more convoluted than that. Yeah, and sometimes your win con can you can just be a card on its own. Like my my plan is to get Dark Steel Colossus into play. Yeah, and win. Yep, maybe, <laughs> maybe a bad example. Okay, so you got your Dark Steel Colossus in play, and I wrath the board. I've still got a Dark Steel Colossus in play. <laughs> uh, I don't think so, son. Yeah, I do. It's indestructible. Yes, but. <laughs> That's not how raffing works. It does. It destroys things. It can't be destroyed if it's indestructible. You're thinking about protection. Destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Okay, so raffing. What is raffing? <laughs> uh, raffing is where you sweep the board of creatures, hopefully. Uh, it's taken from the card Wrath of God, which is, I think, probably the original uh, board sweeper, although there was a few more out at the time, but it's the most famous one. Uh, and basically, usually means destroy all creatures. Yeah, so it's a, it's a board wipe, basically. Yeah. yeah. Right, I think we went through the sort of general gaming terms. Yeah. Quick aside, Craig, name that card. This card has... Red and green in the casting cost. Runeclaw Bear. No. It's a gate crash card. Uh, 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 head hurt. I can't it's even a, think. It's a sorcery. Um, 
One, uh, Serene Remembrance? No. It starts with grrr and ends in salt. Ground assault. Yay! Okay, what were we saying? Okay, um, <laughs> so we've done the general terminology. Um, there is terminology for each of the color combinations. So, for example, uh, if we're saying something is mono-red, then that is a deck which only uses mountains, all the cards inside are red, or artifact, or colorless. So mono just simply means it is all this one color. But we've got terms for two colors in a uh, deck, turns for three colors in a deck, and turns for five colors in a deck. So we can just quickly run through these? Yep. So if you've been playing Gate Crash or Return to Ravnica, you should be aware of what all the two color combinations are. For example, Vice went, what is the red and white color combination? You say it was called? Boros. Indeed. <laughs> to think about that briefly. And if I said blue and red, you say, is it? If I said black and green, you'd say go Gary. So we know what all the two color combinations is. Thank you very much for Return to Ravnica and Gate Crash. But I remember before when we were playing Avacyn Restored, people would want to draft Boros. Huh? There is no Boros cards in Avacyn Restored because Boros is in Ravnica. It simply just meant draft red and draft white. Yeah. Now, um, not quite so recent are the names for the three color combinations. Now, there's two different types of three color combinations. There are shards. There's just three adjacent colors. So if you look at the color wheel, you know white is next to blue and white is also next to green. If you're talking about green and white and blue, that would be a shard. Now, if you yeah. talk, talk about white and its opposing colors, so the ones on the opposite side of the board, which is black and red, that would be a shard. So you got wedges, which are adjacent, and then shards where there's two adjacent and the other one is the opposite. Yeah. Both. The three color shards, they all come from Alara, and they were all given their own individual names. So white, blue, and black is called Esper. Blue, black, and red is called Grixus. Black, red, and green is called Junt. Red, green, and white is Naya. And then green, white, and blue is Bant. So if someone says they're playing an Esper control deck, then that means they're playing white, blue, and black, and they're playing control deck, which we'll get to in a bit. Yay. That's all pretty straightforward. Now, the problem is the edges never really properly got names. There are names for them, but no one really uses them. So they've mm. all been given their own secondary names over time. So there is the white, blue, and red deck, which is sort of known as American it can also be known as British or French, I suppose Luxembourgish, just because it's the colours of the yeah. flags you'll find. So you Often know. you'll find that's called the Patriot as well. And I think I've maybe seen Stars and Stripes as well, again, referring to the American flag. Yeah. Um, so that's simply just because it's, it's blue and white and red. So. Or you could order it red, red, white and blue. You can order it however <laughs> but, you like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just whatever. So yeah, it's... Yeah. It, so if you hear someone called American, uh, I suppose Brits will call it British because, yay, nationalism, French will call it that, we'll call it French, you know. Yeah. It's just I the Patriot deck. It seems, seems reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> um, now there's also blue, black, and green. Or if I say black, blue, and green, then you'll get B-U-G, and thus it's called Bug. So that's the simple acronym for it. So. It makes sense to me. And similarly, if you've got red, blue, and green, that's Rug. <laughs> It's pretty straightforward, but you hear yep. bug and rug, you just look at the letters and go, oh, those are the three colours, remembering that U means blue. Um, yep. Now, there's also green, white, and black. That's called junk, and I have no idea why. I have a feeling it was a deck that was made, and it was 
with some, I mean, this is just a guess, but it would be a deck that was made of substandard cards that actually did better than everybody thought it would, and it happened to be green, white, and black, and it would have been a junk deck. Yeah. And it stuck. I could be wrong. It sounds plausible, <laughs> but I have no, see, it, this, I'll be honest, I only worked out what junk meant a couple of weeks ago. Like, I mean, here people talk about junk decks, and I'm just like, a junk deck? Do you mean a janky deck? Do you mean a deck yeah. which is just filled with rubbish? No, apparently junk means green, white, and black because... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just, that's a bit rude. Yeah, he's playing junk. Is he? All right. <laughs> How's he doing so well? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, th- this is why we're doing this topic, because is that intuitive in the slightest? No. Yeah. Now, we missed a one-color combo, which is the black, red, and white. I don't think this has a term. Is it not Borzov? I suppose we could call it Borzov. <laughs> I mean, that works fine. Um, it's also the Kalia colours, so you could call it after that. But um, yeah, I suppose Borzov's the best term for it. I don't. I mean, again, as I said, there are old terms for these um, wedges, but no one really uses them. Yeah. Uh, like Dega and stuff like that. Like, I'm not actually sure which one the black, red, and white one is, but mm. yeah, Borzov sounds good to me, in all honesty. Yep. Yep. Now, there's no real four-color combination terms, because they're just a bit scrambly. But there is there is a short way of saying the five-color combination, which, you know, white, blue, black, red, and green, or W-U-B-R-G, and it's simply known as Wooberg. That's <laughs> roughly what the letters spell. That sounds like something that's even Private Ryan. Ah, it's Wooberg. What? That's German. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, if you hear somebody talking about Wooberg, it simply means all five colours from... Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's Wooberg. <laughs> I'm going to start using that now. Have you never heard Wooberg before? No, not really. Okay. I mean, who, who says Wooberg in general conversation? I don't know. I, I, I say it when I'm talking about casting costs, you know, like uh, Silver Queen cost Wooberg. I'll, go, I'll just go start saying it whenever uh, somebody pulls off a fluky top deck. Man, that's Wooberg. Are you trying to redefine <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. You're a terrible person. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's, that's, that's Wooberg. Anyways, let us move on to the different styles of deck. Would you like to talk about an aggro deck and what an aggro deck means? Yeah, I mean, an aggro deck is something which is built on a really low curve. All your guys are coming out early in the game and you're attacking hard and fast, you know? Early examples of aggro decks were like the original Sly deck from... Days gone by. I can't, I can't remember the guy. It might have, I can't remember the name of the player who pioneered the slide deck, but it was basically, he played not the most outstanding creatures, but played exactly on curve. Figured out how many creatures he needed to make his curve, start, make his curve the best, and played this kind of really smooth, aggressive deck using things like Goblins of the Flarg and Dwarves. So it's like really outstanding combos. But uh, yeah, that's basically it. You're playing really aggressively and winning in the shortest space of time. Usually to the detriment of your late game. You know, that's basically it. Right, so that's aggro. Uh, how about combo, Craig? So combo is where you get a sequence of cards together which allows you to do some sort of engine-like thing which allows you to win the game. So an example of this is Splinter Twin, which you can tap to create a token of a card, 
which gains haste, but has to, but uh, gets exiled at the end of turn, or gets sacrificed at the end of turn, can't quite remember. Uh, if you pair uh, this with Deceiver Exarch, which comes into play and allows you to untap something you control, then you tap Splinter Twin to create a Deceiver Exarch, which untaps Splinter Twin, which allows you to tap and create another Deceiver Exarch, and you can keep doing this over and over again until you have as many Deceiver Exarches as you want, and then you swing. And that's building up your combo, just having the Splinter Twin, the Deceiver Exarch, and you can just do that all day long to win. Um, yeah. I can't off the top of my head think of another combo deck, but I mean, combo you can even talk about um, no, actually I'll get onto Tron later, but Tron is a yeah. combo as well. Yeah, I mean it's, it's worth noting that often people say, you know, be talking about a pair of cards, say like uh, like good old fashioned Channel and Fireball or Splinter Twin and Cyber Exarch as combos. Generally when people talk about a combo they're talking about a pair of cards or three cards together which will win you the game. Anything which doesn't do that is synergy. See? So you might hear somebody saying, oh, you know, um, Greenside Watcher and the Gate, that's a great little combo, isn't it? And it's actually just synergy. That's two cards that work well together because it's designed to work well together. It's not something which is breaking the game or going to win you the game on its own. Um, and something that I think we're quite guilty of, Craig, when we're speaking, we'll quite often just talk about something being a combo when it's actually just synergy. It might be quite powerful synergy, but it's not going to win you the game. It's not a combo. Yeah, I'm glad you actually covered synergy because we missed that out earlier. But mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So, what is a control deck? Uh. Well, a control deck really comes back to what we were talking about earlier with card advantage. It's you are trying to prolong the game and gain card advantage over your opponent, really. I think that's it, what is at its essence. Quite often you'll have a really big win condition that you're building up to, or you'll be protecting something in place. So, like we were talking about, or I mentioned earlier, Cobblade, where you were, in, in Cobblade you were putting down something in play, like a Squadron Hawk, equipping it with a sword, and then the rest of your deck was geared towards protecting that and protecting that investment and countering anything that got thrown at it, you know, and trying to outdraw your opponent so you've got more cards in them. It's not like an aggro deck where you're just trying to win in the shortest space of time. Uh, you're just trying to prolong the game until you've got it to a point where you can win. And sometimes it might be with a big expensive spell like a Grizzle Brand or something or some sort of creature that you've got in play and you're trying to protect or something in play that you're trying to protect with your control, controlling, more controlling spells. But essentially you're trying to win by card advantage usually. There's kind of a no, I'm not, I need to refigure this out. There's kind of a paper, scissors, stone of aggro combo and control. Kind of rule of thumb. And the idea is that aggro will beat combo most of the time. Combo should beat control, and control should beat aggro. Is that right? Mm, general? Possibly. <laughs> yeah, because aggro should be able to beat the combo deck before he gets his combo together. Combo can win over time against the control deck because the control deck's given him the time to do it, but the control deck beats the aggro because that's what it's designed to do, you know? And quite often you'll find, like, early in a format, you'll have the aggro decks come out first, before the control decks get really solidified and into beating aggro, you know, because that's just the way it works. 
and then the combo decks emerge as people find ways to break the format, you know. So, uh, eggs, Craig, you mentioned it before. Right. Um, as a term about a card, an egg is simply a card which you sacrifice for some small benefit. So these tend to be cheap one-mana artifacts which you can either sacrifice to gain a, like ma- one point of mana, you can sacrifice it to draw a card. They just these little effects, a little bit like cantrips, you know, they just do little incremental things by themselves. Now, the eggs deck, put all these decks together in one, uh, all these eggs together in one basket or in one deck, and it has ways of getting all your cracked eggs, all the eggs you've sacrificed up into the graveyard, back into play, which allows you to turn that little incremental bit by bit advantage into a win on something like turn three or turn four. So the idea is you play most of these little eggs for a lot, very little mana, you generate some mana, you get them all back, you use them to generate a bit more mana, you get them all back, you use them to generate a bit more mana, and then eventually you do some uh, spell which will just kill your opponent for one. Now this is generally a storm card, uh, which does one point of mana. For those who aren't aware of what the storm mechanic does, it copies the spell for each time another spell has been cast. So if I've cast 19 spells... And then I cast my, um, was it Grape Shot, which does one damage with Storm? Uh, yeah. Then, okay, this is spell number 20. It sees the other 19 spells you cast before and it goes, okay, your one Grape Shot turns into 20 Grape Shots. And you're now yeah. doing 20 points of damage to your opponent, and that's how eggs win. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think, I think Egg, the, or the Eggs deck is essentially a combo deck, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's putting together the combo of generating mana and getting back Getting back all oh, your cards you put into your graveyard. It's not yeah. really a control deck because it doesn't really do anything. It just sort of sits by itself and then does its own thing. Yeah, and it's definitely one of these ones where, you know, let's talk about this uh, kind of paper, scissors, stone thing. It doesn't really quite add up. So if Eggs is a control deck, it should get beaten by aggro, but the Eggs deck itself can actually win on, like, turn two or three, you know, if it goes off right. So yeah, like- I, I, Stanislav Sifka used the Eggs deck to win... Pro Tour Return to Ravnica, and I think he may have won one of his matches on turn two. Yeah. And generally, it's turn three. Of, and the other thing about the Eggs deck, this combination of little incremental things and casting all these spells, they can take 10, 15 minutes for a turn. Yeah. Which, when I was talking about the Eggs Mirror match earlier, when you're considering these guys have five more turns and they could take 15 minutes per turn, they're holding up a tournament by an entire round, potentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's one of the reasons uh, people yeah. don't like eggs because they can, you kind of have to, have to sit back and see if they can get the combo together or whether it fails. Yeah, but I mean, eggs is a very specific deck. I don't think it's the same as saying, you know, it's not a deck type, I don't think. No, I just wanted to cover it because when people say, oh, I played eggs, you go, you, you, you were, what? What do you mean you played yeah. eggs? That's what you eat for breakfast, you know. The, the, the original cards that made up the eggs deck were, in fact, eggs. They were, yeah, there's something egg. egg. Yeah, there was like, had a card type egg. And then they got, oh, the, the next generation of cards were bobbles or something. But they, but they were slightly improved. Okay. Yeah. But they still kind of look eggy, so they still get called eggs, that's, I imagine. <laughs> Could be wrong on that. Fair enough. So talk about a more general term for a deck. Midrange. What is midrange? Midrange is, Kind of what you'd call a beach deck, I suppose. It's like the, you, you could call, like looking at the recent Pro Tour, the, was it, it was standard we were playing, wasn't it? With Rag Tusks and, uh, Rescue Angels and things. That, that, that 
sort of deck with those sort of creatures and it's a mid-range deck. It's not going for the all-out massive creature at the end. It's not that nobody was trying to play a grizzle brander, but neither was it trying to win in the first few turns by rushing. It was using efficient creatures which were at the middle of the range of mana. It's like four mana, five mana creatures. Not ridiculously expensive, but just good value for mana. And uh, I suppose it's just describing the point of the game where the deck wins. Or as at the peak of its performance. Yeah, so if aggro wins early game and control wins late game, mid-range wins in the middle of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that Thrag Tusk, uh, respite, you know, um, what would you call it? Uh, Detora Bant, I think I've heard it being called, because, uh, most of the Torah piloted it pretty successfully. Definitely. And, yeah. yeah. In that recent Pro Tour. And, uh, yeah, that's a mid-range deck. If you, yeah, have a look at it on YouTube. It's nice. But those kind of four mana, five mana, three mana creatures doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we talking about permission, Craig? So a permission deck is a pretty nasty type of control deck because um, it basically just has all the counter spells. Mm. So the whole point of permission is sort of you kind of have to ask, can I, can, can I cast a spell? No, I've got a counter spell here. Can I cast yeah. a spell? Nah, you can't. I've got this. Sorry. It's basically just a deck full of cover spells. This is the sort of deck which is going to cause somebody to rage quit. Because <laughs> all your all their opponent is allowed to do is cast spells and watch them go to the graveyard straight away. Yeah, and it could be to the, to the end result of it being a control deck or a combo deck. You're just getting, again, getting to that point in the game where you can do stuff. Yeah, it's like, I'm stopping you from doing anything until I get to do the thing I want to do. Yeah. Um. So what's a ramp deck? Ah, well, we talked about ramp earlier. You're trying to get as much mana as possible in the play. And I suppose a good example of a ramp deck would be Wolf Run Ramp, where they use things like Primeval Titans to get massive amounts of land into play and then use Kessig Wolf Run to win the game. Just with sheer volume of land and make a massive creature which has got trample, do something about it or lose. And uh, that's basically it. You're trying to get more resources than your opponent so you can cast bigger spells and have a bigger impact on the board. Uh, okay, you mentioned Tron earlier, Craig. Anything to say about Tron? Yeah, so Tron refers to deck, but it also refers to um, a combination of cards. And the film. Oh, yeah, I suppose there's also <laughs> the film. Um, so the cards in question are three different lands. There's Ursa's Mine, there's Ursa's Power Plant, and there's Ursa's Tower. Now, on their own, each of them just tap for one colourless mana. But if you have a mine and a power plant and a tower in play, then the mine and the power plant both tap for two colourless and the tower taps for three. So you can go turn one one of them, turn two one of them, turn three the third one, and then all of a sudden you have seven colourless mana at your disposal. Yay. Now, this is sort of a ramp deck. Um, the goal is to basically play out a really massive threat. Generally, Tron decks are looking to cast uh, one of the Eldrazi from Rise of the Eldrazi, the sort of 15 cost, um. Emrakul. Emrakul, thank you. I was trying to remember his name. Yeah, the 15 cost Emrakul, um, very early on, or they just go turn three, Karn Liberated, which is, can be an excessively, um, controlling card because it, they just start removing their land from play. Mm. It's sort of like, yeah, nice, you, you try casting spells with two, three mana each turn while I'm just getting seven, eight, ten, thirteen, oh, look, Emrakul, you know. 
So the Tron deck is building these three, getting these three land into play, and then just going crazy because they got tons of mana. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what is a weenie deck? Um, you don't really hear people talking about weenie decks quite so much these days because I always think of a weenie deck as being made up of really small creatures, and that's something that used to get more back in the olden days when your low mana creatures were really small and pathetic. So, like, if you wanted to play one drops, they were one ones. That doesn't happen so much now. You usually get, you know, you'll be getting a two one or something, or a one one that flies, or one one with first strike, or a two one with first strike. Sometimes you'll you'll get something with an ability of some form for your one mana, and you generally don't see a deck made with a load of one ones anymore. But the uh, that was what it used to be. People used to just make a deck full of little guys who. Uh, get bigger on the attack because these anthem effects and ways of making them bigger. So you might get a goblin weenie deck where the person played a load of 1-1 one, one goblins and lord kind of cards which gave them plus one plus one and spells which made them bigger. So that's essentially it. I mean, it's the form aggro deck where all the creatures are really small. Um, I think we just touched on two terms we never covered before. Uh, anthem and Lord. Should we briefly mm. cover what those two terms mean? Just Yeah, I suppose so. An Anthem is usually uh, an enchantment, but it can quite often be uh, an instant, or even a sorcery, that gives uh, a buff to all your creatures. And sometimes it's conditional. It might say, give all white creatures plus one, plus one, or give all soldiers plus one in attack, or give them all vigilance, whatever the whatever the buff is. It's can you can cast instant speed, or you might have an enchantment that says all your fight creatures get plus one plus one, something like that. And a lord is a creature which has a similar effect. So a goblin lord would typically give all your creatures plus one plus one, and maybe mountain walk or something like that. And a zombie lord would do it the same for zombies, but maybe grant swamp walk. But there, you get different. You might, like, for Zombie Lord, for example, there's multiple cards which are called, would be referred to as a Zombie Lord, but just because they've been printed over various different sets, and they all grant buffs of some sort to your zombies, but they're all slightly different. But they're all Zombie Lords. Yeah, the, the traditional player point of view of what a Lord should do, um, if, for example, you have the Zombie Lord, it should give all your other zombies plus one, plus one. Wizard's view on a Lord is simply, um, a creature that gives all creatures of the same type a benefit of some sort. Yeah. So, um, I can't think of actually an example which doesn't fit the plus one plus one category off the top of my head now that I think about it. Uh, I saw one earlier, but it's not a ruled example. Yeah, I can't <laughs> think of an example off the top of my head, but. I can't think of a recent one. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, wizards think it's any creature which gives all creatures of the same type a benefit. We think of it as plus one plus one. But. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, slivers. Maybe a good example, because slivers say give all other slivers first strike, or give all, give all slivers some other uh, thing. Yeah, is, that good, is, that, is that true? I don't know. No, that's are, true. Are slivers all sliver lords? There <laughs> are sliver lords for the slivers, but yes, all slivers do give every other sliver an ability. Yeah, which isn't necessarily plus one, plus one. I don't know, that's all I could think of. No, that's fair enough. Uh... Now here's one that's always confused me a little, Craig. What is a zoo deck? 
So this was something which actually confused me until quite recently. I learned what zoo meant roughly around the same time as I learned what junk meant. Mm. So zoo is is a reasonably um, fixed construct of type of deck. You have 20 lands, you've got 20 spells, and you have 20 creatures. And it's an aggro deck which plays very cheap spells, generally burn spells which just do damage, and very cheap creatures which are very efficient for the mana cost. So, you know, Mm. um, Wild Nactal was sort of an archetypical zoo card because it's a one drop which just happens to uh, become a 3-3 if you've got all the right sort of lands in play. Yeah. So a zoo deck is basically that 20 land, which is sort of on the low side, but if you're playing an aggressive deck so you don't need so much mana. 20 creatures, oh cheap and very good curd apes, um, wild nectiles for example, uh, lone lions and then it's 20 spells which just get the extra damage through, get rid of the creatures which are in your way. Is it because of all the animals in the deck, Craig? I'm not sure, because, I mean, 20 creatures is... No, I just I mean the creature types. You're, you're, you're listening to Nakatals and lions and... Yeah, cats and lions and gorillas. I, I'm i not quite sure where Zoo comes from. I would imagine it comes from that. Like, it's got to be the creature types, isn't it? I would imagine so. But you could do <laughs> Zoo You could do zoo with uh, just humans, I suppose. It's just a question of making sure they're all cheap and efficient and have the right spells to back them up. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Right. Let us move on to a very... Name that card! So, Craig, I'm looking at a <laughs> gate crash card. <laughs> wow, I like how you just jumped in there. Uh, okay, you're looking at a gate crash card. That's good. This one's blue. Okay. It is Sky Games. No, it's not. It's a creature. Oh, in which case, it's going to be Throat Oculus. It is not. It's a 2-3. In which case... Uh... Is the Sage Road Denizen a 2-3? It is Sage Road Denizen! Yay! Boom! Excellent. So what are we moving on to now? Uh, we are moving on to Psychographics. Ooh, fancy word. So, um, Psychographics, they're basically ways of separating players into categories. Sort of, you know, th- th- that player likes that sort of thing, that player likes that sort of thing, and it's names to give, to attach to terms to describe what people mean effectively. Yeah. So, um, you've probably heard the terms Johnny, Timmy, and Spike. And, you know, I have I have heard these terms, Craig. So somebody I may- could maybe use a refresher. Uh, so yeah, somebody may be referred to as a Timmy. Now, what is Timmy? Timmy is basically the power gamer. He wants to win big. He wants to do big, flashy stuff. He wants to play, be casting the Eldrazi. He wants to be casting the Crater, Behem- Crater Hoof Behemoth. He wants to be casting... All the big flashy spells, all the big flashy cars, and he wants to just smash in and be really flashy, and that's Timmy. Yeah. He gets quite excited when he gets to play all his fun big facts. Yeah, Timmy likes green cards, likes stomping you with them. Yeah, generally. He, he, <laughs> um, he's the sort of guy which would cast Insurrection and swing with all the creatures, you know. Yeah. He's far yeah. more interested in big flashy creature than, saying having an army of one ones. Army of One Ones, they're not flashy. They're not interesting. But that but, big yeah. 12-12 trample! Yeah, That's Timmy. Yeah. Timmy. That is Timmy. Um, yeah. Johnny. Common player is one way of putting at it. He's sort of the creative guy. He wants to show off with what he knows. Um, with his sort of creativity and style. And, you know, he's going to win with his Merfolk deck because he's thought of this really cool way to make Merfolk work. And Merfolk is just his sort of thing. Yeah. Um, he's going to come up with the rogue decks, which come from nowhere. It's not about how often he wins. It's about how he wins. 
And yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, to t- Timmy, sort of one of wins with really big thing, big creatures. He's all about the sort of raw rush of just primal spells and creatures and stuff like that. Johnny is using his mind um, to win in innovative, uh, interesting ways, and it's all about his personality shining through. I mean, Commander is sort of a Johnny-centric uh, format in some ways, because you build your 100-card deck to express who you are. Like, my Izzy yeah. deck is about what I want to do. The reason I'm playing Red and Blue is because I associate with that, and I play the cards I want to play. But it's very Timmy as well sometimes. Yeah, because then you just go, oh, look at all the mana, and I just play Emrakul. Wait, wait, and Ulamog, and, oh, what's the other one called? Oh, yeah, Kozilek. Ah! I mean, <laughs> there's, there's certain, it's, not like, it's not like Johnny is the only person catered for in Commander, but, you know. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. And then, finally, um, although this was actually the first one to sort of get a psychographic, or the last one to get a name, Spike. Mm. Spike is a tournament player. Spike wants to win. Doesn't really care how he does it. He'll just win. He will play the best deck. He'll net deck. He will steal, borrow, beg cards if he needs to. His pleasure is just from winning. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't matter if it was like top deck for the win. As long as he wins plenty of times, he's happy. Yeah, but I mean, that almost makes it sound like a negative thing or a negative uh, type of player to be. I don't think it really is. It's more... The, the enjoyment can come from a really uh, technical enjoyment of the game and figuring out the exact... You know, Spike can be somebody who's sitting there figuring out all the odds of, well, what, what if he's got this card and try to read their opponent and take every advantage during a game. And uh, I don't think it's a negative thing. I don't think that's just the way you describe that, Craig. It may sound a little bit negative, but nah. Yeah, a tournament player. Whose focus is on winning. Yeah, Spike's pleasure yeah. is derived from winning. Johnny's pleasure is derived from the creativity he can show. And Timmy's pl- pleasure is going, Creator Hoof Behemoth! He doesn't even care. <laughs> I mean, if he loses... Lo- axe to the face! Yeah, if, if he loses after he plays Creator Hoof Behemoth, that's not necessarily, like, gonna crush Timmy's soul. Cause he's gonna play Creator Hoof Behemoth! Ah, that's massive! Uh, yeah. You know, the pleasure comes from different places for people. And generally people are gonna be a mix of some different things, like I do like to win, but I also like to show off what I know. I would consider myself a Spike Johnny, or maybe a Johnny Spike, because I guess I'm probably more creative than I am. I need to win, but... I think I'm more Johnny, just because, like, even when I go to tournaments, I tend to shoot myself in the foot with uh, my my ideas. I mean, <laughs> you'd rather play 20 tournaments with your ninjas deck and win one yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. Than to go to all 20 with some other deck and win them all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a, like, uh, I don't have any strong belief against net decking or whatever. If I had the money to go out and buy myself a modern Jun deck, I'd probably go and do it and win more. But, you know, I, I don't have the cash for that, Craig. So I'll stick to my ninjas for now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, so those are the three player psychographics. Now, there are two other terms floated around which aren't psychographics. I'm not entirely sure what the correct term for it is. But um, the other two terms are Melvin and Vorthos. Are you <laughs> aware of Melvin and Vorthos? Well, uh, I'm aware of you calling me a Vorthos once, but I'm not entirely sure what you meant by it. I wasn't sure whether to take offence or not. Okay, a Vorthos is <laughs> um, someone who enjoys the flavour of the game. The story oh, of the yeah. game, the yeah. the artwork of the game. So, 
If you're the sort of player who likes the idea that you're sitting down opposite a planeswalker and you are commanding an army of creatures you're summoning by drawing mana from the land and, you know, I'm not attacking with a 2-2. I'm attacking with my my priest who is trying to gather the money for the Orzhov Syndicate and I am battling against your primal berserkers of the Gruul clans. Yeah, and you're a yeah. Vorthos. Now, this doesn't yeah. say whether... It's not, it's not like... You need to be a Timmy, or you need to be a Spike, you need to be a Johnny. Anybody can be... Uh, you can be any of those three. This is separate. Vorthos is a, is a separate scale. Okay? Yeah. So, um, I personally identify with Vorthos. Maybe not to the degree I just, you know, ex- you know, exclaimed, but, like, I've got quite a lot of dragons in my commander deck, because I quite enjoy the idea of these massive flying beasts coming across the battlefield and beating face. <laughs> but uh, it's not like I'm going to get obsessed about... Um, I'm not going to like start giving a narration to my opponents because I'm pretty sure you'll get really annoyed. But you know, I'm the sort of person who will like if I if I want to play a card, I will pick the the art I like most. Like I play um, a Japanese factor fiction. Why don't I play an English factor fiction, which everyone can read and understand? Because I like the look of the Japanese one more. Yeah, you know that's yeah. part of being a Vorthos. It's about um, enjoying yeah, the mean, non the non game mechanic parts. I, I think I get a bit like that, but. In an opposite direction, like I'll, I'll get angry at things—not angry, but I'll get upset by things which are, which don't make sense. So, like for example, you block my grey ogre, which is a two-two, with your mistraven and the trade. It's like hmm, my guy was an ogre, yours was a glorified crow. That shouldn't have been a trade, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's little things like that sometimes. Like why, why are those the same size? It should be the same size. You know, there's more examples of that in the game, but things like that sometimes get me a little, Craig. Get yeah. me a little. Right, now, I may be incorrect in my understanding of Melvin, but Melvin's effectively the other side of the scale from Vorthos. It's, it's, it's basically a straight line. On one end you have Vorthos, on one end you have Melvin. And Melvin doesn't really care for all that. Like, I don't care it's a, a giant spider's a spider. It's not really relevant. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, whatever. It's doing big web. Who cares? It's, it's a 2-4. It costs, you know, whatever mana it costs. And that's it. And the yeah. spider, the spider part's only relevant if it got something which affects spiders. I don't really care about that. It, it's all to do with just the game at its sort of raw mechanics, as far as I understand. Yeah, it's quite akin to a spike player, isn't it? Really? Uh, no, because you can get spike Vorthos. Hmm. Okay, so, um, spike Vorthos will be the sort of guy which goes, um, so, do, do you know the name of the five elder dragons? I suppose so. Oh, I you don't? So. Why are you playing this game? You don't know anything. I mean, let's say Nicol Bolas and Chromium, and I'm going to stop because I don't personally know the answer. <laughs> but, you know, a spike player will, a spike, um, Vorthos will want to win at knowing more than you about the, like, oh, oh, you must know the art, who did the artwork for Omniscience. He's my favorite artist. Yeah. Do yeah. you know? Do you know? Do you don't know? It's Jason Chan, obviously. God. <laughs> Again, I'm actually portraying Spike to be a bit of an ass, but um, yeah, it's not the case. It's not the case at all, really. No, but he wa- he wants if he's a Vorthos, he will also want to show off of his knowledge of the game. You know, like oh, I love Jason Chan's artwork. I'm playing a deck filled with Jason Chan's artwork. I love I love Omniscience. You know, I love um, Jace the Mind Sculptor. I can't actually think of other stuff by J- Chan. Jason Chan is actually my personal favorite artist. So a, <laughs> Never could have told. Just in case you're wondering why I was picking him out, but um, yeah, so. Yeah, on the other side of the scale, Melvin is all to do with sort of the, the raw mechanics. It's it's not a lightning bolt which shocks you to the face. It's a one-man as well, which costs three. Does three damage. Done. 
Yep. Um, and he enjoys putting sort of mechanics together as well. Like, Vorthos may just put a bunch of dragons together because it's like raw primal energy dragons are flying in the sky and they're breathing fire everywhere and what. Whereas Melvin's going to be looking at the cards and going, right, the, that, if I put suspend together with echo and I can play t- clock spinning and I can start adjusting counters, hmm, I've got an idea here. You know, th- he's more about the rules and the, the, the structure of the game and yeah. um, that part. But then I guess most people will probably fall somewhere in the middle. Most people will probably like a little bit of flavor, you know, like I care about what what my cars look like. Um but I don't necessarily entirely care that oh look it's uh Sarkin Vol transforming into a dragon or something like that. I'm st- I'm still interested in the rules because I'm a judge. I mean <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm a little bit interested in rules. Like I go, ooh, you know, Giora suspend works quite well with basically expensive stuff because it lets me cheat them in for free. Boom. You know. <laughs> um, so uh, that, that, that's Melvin and uh, Vorthos. Yay. And I think that's us done. Oh, it's almost us done, Craig. Oh, I see. You've thought of more, have you? Mm, well, I have an answer for you, I think, vaguely. In two seconds, I'll have an answer for you. An answer? What question yeah. did I ask? Arcadius Sabbath. Oh. Chromium. Mm-hmm. Nicol Bolas. Pallada Mors. And, and one more which I can't quite find. <laughs> yes, the Vis... Uh, what's his name? Yeah, no, that's the point. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't find it. What, what were they all in? Legends? Uh, yeah, and Chronicles. Uh, the Victus Asmadi. Of course it was. Two black, black, red, there red, green, green. Summon Elder I- Dragon Legend. I had two of those guys as well. Wow. Bah. Anywho. Well, thank you for answering my question. I was trying really hard. I was looking through my book going, oh, I need to buy these pictures. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, are we done? Uh, if you want to be done, it's up to you. I think we've possibly talked for long enough. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, right. Um, in which case, let's wrap this up. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we're available on Tumblr at delvingintodraft.tumblr.com. Get in touch, get in touch, get in touch with us. We're here, we're here for you. Um, <laughs> we're also on Facebook as Delving Into Draft. Just feel free to search for us. Our email address is delvingintodraft at gmail.com. And finally, I'm on Twitter as Ravak underscore. That's R-A-V-A-K underscore. You're also this week with me, Craig, and you, Steve. That's me! The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is Royal for Free Music License under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Mm-hmm.